If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. You can read on with somebody next to you. We do have a church app that you could either download or those of you who have it, you can open it up. There's not only the verses there and the reference, but we also have notes that you could take. So you could even email it afterwards to yourself and just kind of keep a file of that so that you can keep on growing in the knowledge of the Lord. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. And we're simply titling this sermon, For Good. And not only on that aspect of it's done, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and we celebrated that we we were able to come together as a church on Friday, but then for good in the sense where everything that has happened in our lives, everything that we're going through right now in our lives, is for our good and for the glory of God. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I want to start off and ask a question. How many of you in this room like optical illusions? Is there anyone in this room? Yeah, some of you are like, well, I don't know what optical illusions are, but it's okay. Uh, optical illusions are just pictures where they have a way of distorting what you actually see. And by that distortion, sometimes you're not able to see certain things or you're able to see certain things. I think one of the coolest things that's been happening is there's a lot of artists now that are doing some of the arts on the street. So what they're doing is they're actually painting on the street. They used to use chalk. Now they're using paint because people are rubbing against it and walking on it. So it loses the art value. But now they're using paint, special type of paint, to actually paint the streets and create an optical illusion, a 3D effect on the street. And so I wanted to kind of show you some pictures of these 3D effects. And it's going to be right up here. And so if you look at the first one, it, it's, it's amazing. You have to understand that this is just a flat ground, but the way they painted this, it creates a 3D effect. And so here's a kid who's pretending to be on a skateboard and uh, pretty cool. If you don't know what that little box is on the bottom left, uh, you probably were not born in the 80s, all right? But uh, if you know what that is, then you're old school, you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, here's some other pictures that you'll notice. Uh, some of them get very elaborate with a lot of colors. And it, it's, it's incredible just to walk on some of these streets and to be able to see these artists creating this kind of work that causes us to kind of pause for a moment because, once again, it fools our eyes. Uh, here, here's another picture you'll notice. Uh, phenomenal. This is supposed to create the sense of a waterfall or just even a cave underneath. And so these are things that are happening as you watch this. You will also notice uh, now we have many waterfalls. Uh, there's some other ones that are here. Uh, a lot of water themes. If you love swimming, this is it. Just don't jump in there. And so scuba diving, so you see this. And if you could tell on the top, it kind of has a little bit of kind of cartoonish. But like I said, as they're painting this, they're painting it from a perspective. So when you see it, it actually feels like a 3D effect on it. And poor kid, the mom said, lay down right there. And, you know, they're taking a picture. And so here's a picture of a shark and the kid maybe from China, I don't know, and they're just laying there and thinking, why me? And the, 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 these are the pictures that your parents took when you were really young, and then you look at it now like, I cannot believe it. This is like ridiculous. This is what this kid is going to be saying as they get older. And then what I want you to do is kind of look at this, because it's kind of interesting as they're, once again, this idea of this waterfall. What I want you to see is how they painted it. So if you look at this, you're looking at it from a, the angle where it's not creating the 3D effect, but it's coming from the painter's side. And so if you look at it, you have to paint it almost elongated so that it will have that 3D effect. And that's why if you look at it, this is what it looks like. And if we just go back to two pictures before, you will notice this is what it looks like when you look at it from this perspective. But then if you look at it from... The other side, this is what it looks like. Completely different from looking at it from a certain angle. So what I wanted to do was to just show you a quick video of a lot of this art. I've just been really fascinated with this recently. 
Um, I don't know, maybe I'm a closet artist or whatever, but I've been really fascinated that you really have to know shapes and dimensions and the right perspective to do this. So I started doing some research on how to make these types of paintings uh, on flat surfaces. And so there's this really quick video, and it's really interesting because every single year in Sarasota, Florida, one of the, I think it's Florida, well, in Sarasota, they, they actually have a festival, which is a street art festival, and they give you one week so everyone gathers together and they give you one week to come up with a design and paint it. And then they will start judging which one is the best. So I thought that was really cool. So I wanted to show you this quick video so you have a little bit of an artist's perspective of how they're trying to create some of these beautiful works of art. So let's watch this together. These guys are phenomenal. I mean, you have to think about proportions, angles, perspective shadows, even as the sun is shining down, there are a lot of things to think about. And as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, this is just like life. Because I think life is really about perspective. And depending on how you look at your situation or whatever it is that you're facing in your life, those are the conclusions that oftentimes you will make. I think there are many of us in this room this morning that we have a certain perspective that might be very negative. Some of us that leads to playing the victim, that everything and everyone is out to get you. Some of us, we feel like the situation that we're in, we're in the situation that's outside of our control. Some of us feel as if we have no power to do anything. Others of us, maybe we have a perspective that's greater than what's within your own abilities and your talents. And this is where you begin to understand that you need something that's beyond you, that's God, and you need Him in your life. I think for some of us in this room, as we think about the right perspective, we have to be able to look from the lens of God's goodness and His sovereignty. That simply means that God is God and He's in control, that He is sovereign, He rules over the whole universe. But I think many of us, for many of us, this is so hard to do, to see it from that perspective, that God is in control, that God is good. I think for some of us, we've been hurt by people, our parents, maybe some of our friends, co-workers, some of us through relationships, an ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend. For some of us, I think we've gone through some tragedies and loss in our lives. And it's so difficult when you lose things that you value and the things that you love or the people that you love to be able to see that God is still good and there's a purpose behind all this. For some of us, I think we are in the midst of going through some confusion or even feeling maybe a little bit directionless. And because of that, we're, we're how, how is it that God's good? Because right now I'm more confused than ever before. I think for some of us, we are struggling with depression, other mental uh, illnesses that we wrestle through with, anxiety, disorders. There are so many things going on in your life. And my question to you this morning is, how in the world can you sit there and say that God is still good and that he is still in control? And I think this is when we begin to honestly start searching for hope in our lives. But the problem is many of us in this room, we try to find hope to get out of our situation, to try to see things differently in all the wrong places, in all the wrong people. And I think this is causing us to get more hurt and more disillusion. And I think this is why it's so hard to believe that God is always working things out for our good. I think what we need to have is a greater level of trust, faith in God, who is the only one that can offer us this genuine and lasting hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we celebrate Easter. Because we believe as followers of Jesus Christ that he died for our sins and that he died and on the third day he rose again from the dead. There is no other religion that claims the person who has led that religion rose again from the dead, resurrected. 
It is only Christianity. And that's why I challenge people to look at the validity and the claims of Christ on the resurrection. Listen to what Hanley Mole said, which I thought was very poignant. He says this, There is no situation so chaotic that God cannot from that situation create something that is surpassingly good. He did it at creation. He did it at the cross. He is doing it today. What a great reminder for us that it is only God that can create order out of chaos and the mess in our lives. So there's one thing that I want us to really focus in on as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. And the one thing that I want you to remember is simply this, that in Jesus, our hope is found since he is able to turn things around. That it is only in Jesus Christ where our hope is found because he is the only one who could turn things around. I'm going to highlight two things in this passage in the book of Matthew chapter 28 as we talk a little bit about how Jesus, he is our hope and that's where our hope is found because he's going to turn things around in our lives. And the first thing is this, we have to understand the reassurance from God that any other hope that you place in that does not find its foundation on God is going to leave you disappointed. So I want to talk about this reassurance from God. Let's go ahead and read the first verse. Listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 28. So once again, if you don't have a Bible, you can either listen or you read with somebody next to you and listen to what it says. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I want to stop here and establish a couple things before we read the rest of the, the verses for today. We have to remember at this point of the story, the followers of Jesus were scared and they were in hiding from the Jewish people as well as the Roman authorities. So these, these followers of Jesus were not really bold. They were not create, uh, courageous. But in fact, there was a lot of fear in their hearts knowing that now Jesus was crucified and now these people are after them. Anyone who was a follower of Jesus, they were after. Now try to imagine that for yourself. That if you were following this Jesus and you realize that now he is dead and then everyone is out to get you, you would be hiding as well. They were so discouraged and so saddened by the fact that he was dead. So that is the perspective that they had. Jesus is dead. Now, it was in this moment that we see in verse 1 that we just read this just now, that it was on the dawn of the first day of the week. And some of these women went to see the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Now, you have to understand that they did not expect that Jesus was going to resurrect from the dead. You have to understand that. They weren't going there to see if Jesus, everything that he said, is he going to rise from the dead? That was not their expectation. These women actually went to the tomb because they were wanted to embalm Jesus' body and prepare it for burial. And this is hard to believe that they did not know that Jesus was going to re- resurrect. And the reason why is this. All throughout the time that Jesus spent with his followers, he constantly alluded to the fact that he is going to die and that he was going to resurrect from the dead. Now, can I have some people who are very honest? How many of you, as you were growing up, your parents were talking to you and it just sounded like, and they go, did you hear what I said? You're like, "Uh, no, right? You know what I'm talking about. This is some of you who are students. That's exactly what happens in lecture. Because you're checking social media and all this other stuff. You look really diligent, but now we have all these apps that you could do it on the web, right? So you guys are like looking like so busy. But you're chatting away, not paying attention. And you wonder why you're struggling with school. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. Some of you uh, at work, your boss is telling you all this stuff. Your mind is just daydreaming. I hate my boss. I want a new job. You're thinking about that beach with that hammock and with the Kool-Aid or, I don't know, lemonade in your hand or whatever you drink, and you're just kind of, and they call your name. And you're like, huh? And you're, you're just totally out of it. You know what I'm talking about. So here's Jesus, especially towards the end of his life, he's constantly telling them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect from the dead. Wah, 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 wah. 
And I found it interesting that even though he was speaking the truth, they still failed to understand. I think this is a good reminder that so many of us, we can hear many truths of God, but then we do not internalize that truth in our lives. I think this is why some of us who are Christ followers, we don't live with the resurrected power in our lives because we just hear just enough, but not allowing the truth, the word to go deep into our lives. As the story continues, there are two things that we will notice uh, that begin to transpire. The first thing that I want you to notice is there was this miraculous instance or incident that something miraculous happened. Let's continue in verse 2 through 4. It says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Let's pause here and see this miraculous uh, incident. Not only was there a great earthquake, but there was an angel that appeared. The stone that covered the grave was rolled back. We even noticed that the angel had the appearance of lightning and his clothes were white as snow. I don't know about you, but this is such a a frightening encounter that even the guards, who are highly trained guards, they were freaking out. In fact, the way it's translated, they fainted as if they were, what, dead. Now, I don't know about you, because I don't know if I can explain everything, because there are times when one day in Hong Kong, weather is nice, and literally in five minutes, it's raining like crazy. You go figure. I just have an app that says heavy rain. And all I know is there are some natural effects that I cannot fully explain. All I know is this was a demonstration of God's supernatural power. Whether you believe in things, and you know, it's really funny. Whenever I talk to people who are a little bit more science oriented, you know, you know, and then, you know, they're talking to you and, they're like, well, if it's not empirically provable, then, you know, they're going on. And I go, listen, let's, let's, let's forget about science and let's look at English. Supernatural. Extraordinary. What that means is it's beyond the natural realm to measure things. That's why it is extraordinary and supernatural. It's beyond the natural. Can I get a good amen to that? (laughs) I was just thinking about that recently, and I'm like, all those people have to, and please don't misunderstand me, because I think Christians have gone to the other extreme of completely disavowing science, which I think it's wrong. I think there are a lot of things that are provable and things that we could use our intellect to understand. But there are some phenomenon and some things that happen in this world that you cannot fully explain. That's why they call it a supernatural work or supernatural phenomenon. I believe this was one of those situations where this earthquake shook, the stone rolled away, this angel appeared. And when you look at this, you'll see that this is one of the reasons why many of the Christ followers were willing to die for their faith. Because what they experienced was so out of the ordinary that they said, this must be God. This is the reason why their lives were so powerfully transformed, because they encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. I think so often we fail to see God working miracles in our lives. Like just having breath right now, that's a miracle. We just found out news that um, uh, a pastor that I know um, passed away on, on a missions trip. And I just thought about this, and I just realized it just this morning, like, we don't have control over our lives. You could be the safest motorcycle rider, you know, you're looking, but someone could come and not even see you and hit you, and you're dead. I've seen people who are such health fanatics, and there's nothing wrong with it. And they're running marathons and even Ironman and triathlons. 
And all of a sudden, they feel, they fall ill and they pass away. And I'm, I'm thinking, I should pass away. I need to lose some weight. That person's so healthy. There are so many things in life that you cannot control and you cannot predict. And that's why when I think about this, I realize every single day that we have breath and we live, it is a miracle. Every single time there is an empty seat in the MTR, it is a miracle of God. You walk in and you go, I believe there's a God. You know what I'm talking about? There are so many miracles that happen on a regular basis that we just fail to see. I think one of the greatest miracles is a life that's transformed. Who used to live a certain way, but because they've experienced this gospel, which means the good news And the bad news was that we're sinful and we deserve the wrath of God and that we were destined for hell. But then the good news says that Jesus Christ loved us so much that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins. That now we can have new life because he rose again from the dead. Like to me, that's that's a miracle. Johnny Arison Tata in her book, A Spectacle of Glory, quotes John Piper And writes this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. Just think about that for a moment. Because you and I are finite. You could try to calculate and think of all the possible options. Some of you are the option people. All the scenarios. Cover all your bases. Figure everything out. Because you want to be in control. For every three things that you know about what's going to happen, there are 10,000 things, I would say even 100,000, if not millions of things that God is doing to orchestrate things so that you can get to where God wants you to be. That is the sovereignty of God. That is a God who leads and guides. That's why what it demands from us is, do you believe that God is good? That even though you might not fully understand what you're going through and certain things do not make sense, but you believe that God is good and that he's working things out, even though you don't see it, he's working all these things out, working on certain people and working on certain circumstances so that it can bring you to the place where you need to be. Not just a locale or a location, but even where your heart is. This is why I believe one of the most powerful things is that when you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and for some odd reason, as soon as you get into university or even to that workplace or even into that new neighborhood as a new family, you the first person you meet is whom? A Christian. And you're like, oh my gosh. I mean, there are so many testimonies like that. People who actually came to our church because there was a person who was their roommate. There was a person that was a co-worker. There was a person that just randomly met them on the street because they had a t-shirt that said, hello. I don't know. And so like, they're just like, oh, hello. And then they started talking and they're like, oh, why don't you come out to church? And they started coming and you're thinking like, that was the last thing I wanted to do. That's God working 10,000 things in your life that you don't even know, that you have no control over. You might know only one or two or three of those things in our finite mind, but God is doing some miraculous things. It's a good reminder for us to think about, can we trust God even though we only see a few of these things happening in our life, that he is really doing 10,000, if not millions of things for our good. Another thing I want you to notice is not only the miraculous incident, but I want you to, as we continue in the story, this motivating invitation. Like literally, it it causes them to be like drawn in. Listen to what it says in verse five and six. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. 
as a woman, as these women saw the angel and they were literally afraid, it says here. We see this angel comforting them and reassuring them by saying, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, let me just pause here and give you some thought. When a person knows your heart, knows the desires of your heart, there's something comforting about it. I don't know how many of you have mothers who are like this. But my mom is like this. And that's why sometimes I, I my wife would tell you, you're so spoiled because you have a mom that did everything for you. And there are times where I'm just like, oh, it'd be so nice to have a fruit. And all of a sudden, my mom will come and cut up the apples and put it right on my desk as I'm working. Like, part of me, I want to be like, you know. But the feeling is, she knows me. She knows my desires and my wants. And here the angel says, we know why you're here. You're here to seek this this Jesus. Don't be afraid. And then the angel invited the women to what? Come and see. Come and see the tomb because he is no longer here. We have to keep in mind that these women, as well as the disciples, once again, did not expect Jesus to be alive. But now they're invited to see for themselves the empty tomb. So not only was it a miraculous incident, but this is a motivating invitation to say, remember what Jesus was saying, that he is not going to be dead, but he is going to resurrect from the dead. I thought it was interesting because when you think about Christianity, and I share this all the time, especially those of you who might not have a religious background, some of you are not Christians yet and you just have come, let me just challenge you with this. If you ever want to disprove Christianity, you just have to do one thing. That's just one thing. Because if you think about a lot of religions, we all pray. We all are somewhat called to be generous, to serve, to give. So I don't know if those things are good markers to really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Do you know the one thing that will disprove Christianity? And it's simply this. All you have to do is disprove the resurrection. That's it. If you can disprove that there was no resurrection, then the Christian faith crumbles. And it's no better than any other religion that we see. Josh McDowell, who is an apologist and a speaker, evangelist, he shares a lot about some of the research that he has done. He says this, after more than 700 hours of studying this subject, referring to the resurrection of Jesus, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is either one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted on the minds of human beings, or it is the most remarkable fact of history. That's why I challenge people. If you are a truth seeker, to seek the truth, because the truth will set you free, but seek by trying to understand the resurrection. God instantly and constantly is inviting us to come and see. Not only to know who he is, but also to know him deeply, to commune with him, to have a relationship with him, to know his heart, to know his purpose, to know his mission. I think God is constantly speaking to some of you to say, come and see. That's why you've been invited to Life Group. That's why some of you have been invited to different hangouts. Some of you have been invited to certain people's homes and you realize that there is something different about these people to call themselves Christians. How about us this morning? How often do we find ourselves missing opportunities where God is inviting us to know him more? I'm wondering if some of us in this room are constantly looking for signs from God to prove himself, 
rather than to be able to trust Him because of what He said in His Word. I'm wondering if your hope is found on the resurrection of Jesus Christ or is your hope focused on the next paycheck or your next grade or your next opportunity that you have. So here we see here, we see here in this passage, this reassurance from God through this miraculous incident that happened as well as this motivating invitation to come and see. Let me close with the second point. Not only the reassurance from God, but I want you to notice as we close out this passage, we'll see the reminder from Jesus. Let's go ahead and read verse 7 and 8. And as we read this, I want you to see Jesus reminding the disciples and these women of something. Verse 7 and 8, it says this, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. After the angel invited these women to come and see, we see that the angel tells the women to go quickly and tell the other disciples that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And the angel reiterated that Jesus is going to go to Galilee and you will see him there. Now, it's interesting that the women were the first ones to see the resurrected Jesus. I don't know about you, but some things just don't make sense to me. Because if you know anything about ancient history during the biblical times, the last group of people that you want to have the first eyewitness are women. Praise God, we live in this century. But back then, you needed two women's testimony for one male's testimony. I mean, they were looked down upon. They didn't have certain rights. So if you were to actually start a movement that was based on a lie, that there was no really resurrection, why in the world would you get women to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection? If you were a little bit smart, because you go to some of these universities or you graduated from some of these different universities, you would probably say to yourself, I will probably get some of the smartest people, people with a lot of power and influence, convince them, bribe them, do whatever I need to, and then we could spread the lot. But that wasn't the case. It was these two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Jesus. And all we can say is it's based on these two women's testimony. Powerful. And then in verse 8, we notice how the women responded. It says they left the tomb with fear and great joy. Can I ask you, how many of you have ever been on a roller coaster. Go ahead. I think I might have asked this before. Just raise your hand. Okay. If you've ever been on a big roller, I'm not talking about those little kitty ones. You're like, ooh, I love roller. I'm talking about the real big ones. I want to ask you this question. When it goes up, what do you feel? Like some of you are like, I feel cool. No, you don't. Because you see that up there, like, oh my goodness. It's the tallest roller coaster in the world. So as soon as you're saddled in, you know that feeling. Well, if you could fit into those things, right? You first saddle in. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, I'm like I'm, sometimes they push you too hard. So I'm like, Aah. and you're saddled in and they're checking every single seat because it's dangerous. And your heart starts beating a little bit faster. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, no, that's fine. But your heart starts getting a, beating a little bit faster. You start sweating just a little bit. You feel warm. You feel warm. And then as soon as they go, bye-bye, you know, I always wonder why they always do that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, as soon as it shoots out and it goes to the first, and you can even hear it. They make sure you hear it. It's like, and it keeps on going up. And you start looking down and everything gets smaller. You don't know why, but it gets smaller. Oh, I'm getting higher. So here you are getting higher and higher. And the worst is depending on where you are sitting. If you're in the front, you can see everything. 
So those of you who are control freaks, you like to sit in the front because at least you know when it's coming, right? <laughs> some of you who are filled, I don't know, there are some people, they say the best part is like the middle end. So that's where the whole momentum, and so, so you guys are the thrill seekers, like, let's sit there, you know, back of the bus, it's like so bumpy. And so here you are going up, like, it's going up, it's going up, and all of a sudden, you know what I'm talking about, that moment of that, that crest, just, like right here. This is when the whole universe just pauses. For that one moment. Because right afterwards, you know what's gonna happen. Not only will your face get even flatter, <laughs> but your head will be jostling in that thing, and you will literally start screaming. I don't know if some of you are screamers. You scream all the time about everything. You see your girlfriend like, ah, you know, and I, you might be a screamer. But I realized I'm not much of a screen. I just like hold it in. <laughs> Some of you are worshipers. <laughs> you guys just go down with the hands up. What I'm trying to share is this. That feeling that I think many of us know is what they were feeling. A little bit frightful because you don't know what to expect or it's gonna, you know what's coming. But you're so excited. Do you know what I'm talking about? Not to the excitement where you have to go to the bathroom, but close. (laughs) That fearful excitement is what they were experiencing because the angel said, he has risen from the dead and he will meet you in Galilee. Go and now tell the disciples. So they are thrilled. They are excited. Now they're probably thinking, oh yeah, wah, wah, wah. oh yeah, I am going to die and resurrect from the dead. So now it's clear because it's like, I'm going to die and resurrect from the dead. So they're like, oh my God. But they're still fearful because they're in the presence of this holy being. And that's why when I'm reading this, I'm like, I know that feeling, fearful joy. You're like, oh, get That's what they're feeling. And then Jesus comforts them. It's it's interesting because as soon as they hear the voice, greetings. I don't know how Jesus said it. Shalom. Uh, He he gave a greeting. And they immediately recognize his voice. And what does it say? They fell to their feet, clasped onto his feet, and then they worshipped him. And what does he say? He comforts them and says, do not be afraid. Then he repeats what was shared earlier. Listen, go and tell. It was a reminder that part of this faith in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have is not just for something for us to keep, but it's something that we have to go now and tell others because it is the good news. See, this is what happens. When you have your hope in Jesus Christ, and you found this hope that's in him, and you see your life being turned around, then the natural response from every single one of us who have experienced this power of the gospel will be to go and to tell. First, you want to tell to those who are close to you, those that you love, and then even from there, God's going to give you a bigger heart where you will even begin to love people you don't even know, strangers. And you're going to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ. This is a reminder for us that as we have experienced the resurrection power because our lives are being changed, we have this new sense of hope that it's not just for us to feel good about ourselves, but to say, now, I want to go and tell others about this hope that we have. How about us this morning, on this Easter morning? Are you bold in your experience of Christ and his resurrection? Like, do you want to share that with others? I'm wondering, when was the last time you were just an eyewitness to what Christ has done or has been doing in your life? You're just giving a recount. You're recounting what has happened in your life. When was the last time you shared about what God was doing in your life and in our faith community, whether life groups or whatever it may be, to others? 
And I think this is where, as I was sharing with some other people recently, I think this is where a lot of us, we get all mixed up because we think, oh my God, I got to know all the answers. They have all these hard questions. If God is so good, why does he allow evil to happen? And, you know, trying to understand where did God come from? And we think unless we know all the answers to these things, then I can't share with other people. And I'm thinking you're completely wrong. I mean, it'll be good to know some of those apologetical questions and have answers to them. But what Christ wants us more than anything else to do is simply to just to tell what you experienced. Isn't that what happened in the book of John with that blind person? The religious leader's like, so tell us once again who healed you. And he's like, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> They're like, surely you must know. And I, I, you know, I'm trying to role play a little bit. And I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, I was blind, but now I see. Panda, no panda. I, I was blind, but now I see. What are they going to say? How are they going to argue your experience? So Jesus doesn't say, hey, figure this all out. See how I rose again from the dead. He just simply says, go to the disciples, tell them, go quickly and tell them that I rose from the dead. And later on, you will notice in chapter 28, later on in verse 19 and 20, he says what? As he goes to the disciples in the mountain near Galilee, he says what? To go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. You just go and tell. Because Jesus is reminding you once again, That it's not about you. It's about what he has done in your life. And all you are is an eyewitness to that experience. I had no hope. Now I have hope. I was a very angry and a bitter person. But now God has softened my heart. I had no purpose in my life. I didn't want to get up in the morning. I was depressed. But now I have a sense of renewed purpose. I want to get up in the morning. I want to make a difference. I was selfish. Focused on myself. But now I want to be more selfless. I I want to experience the joy of serving others. I was greedy with my time, with my treasure and my talents because I used it all on myself. But now you realize that it's not for you to use on your own, but steward it and to be able to be a blessing to the people of this world who are dying without this hope. It is this eyewitness account of what you're experiencing on a regular basis. When was the last time you actually were reminded of what Jesus said and that you go and you tell? That's why I think one of the most beautiful things is that Jesus Christ could have just said, worship me because I am God. But you know what he did? God the Son, in obedience to God the Father, came down into this earth and came into a human form. Most holy of holies became a human being. And the reason why he was born of a virgin was that if he was born in a natural way, then he would have been depraved because we are all sinful by nature. So he had to be born in a complete different way that is supernatural. So he came into this world in the form of a man, but yet knew no sin, so that he could be our representative because the punishment of sin was death. But Jesus Christ said, I will take her place. I will take his place. And that's what he did. He lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. And that's why all your striving and all your trying, it will never meet up to the standard of God's holiness. Some of you are trying so hard to save yourself and you are failing miserably. 
Some of you are at the other side where the thought of somebody doing something for you, it literally breaks you because you're saying, I don't want anyone to do something for me. I want to pay that person back. And Jesus Christ is simply saying, it is finished. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. That's why when he died on the cross, it appeased the wrath of God because it was a perfect sacrifice. All the weight of the world, the sins of the world was placed on Jesus when he died. That's why he even shouted out and cried out in the midst of his pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he felt the separation of what sin does as it separates us from God. And then he says, Breathe this, he breathed his last breath and he says, it is finished. No more trying. No more trying to be good because we couldn't and we can't. So when he said it is done, it is finished for good, that means that all we have to do now is by faith receive that to believe that he did that in our place because we couldn't save ourselves. We were morally bankrupt. And by you receiving it by faith, you know what it does? It literally does a supernatural work in your heart, and God will change you. This is simply the gospel message. As we think about how God created the whole universe, and he created you. And because of sin in our lives, we have been separated from God. But God thinking about his glory and his greater purpose and also having you in mind. That's why, that's when he died on the cross to redeem us. So now we're new creations in Christ. So now we have a great new purpose and why we live and why we do what we do. That's why in Jesus, our hope is found. And because our hope is found in Jesus, we can have confidence that he's going to turn things around. Because he's in the business of transformation. I wanted to kind of give us some things to think through. And then I want us to then respond to what was shared this morning. And it's kind of next steps, but it's next steps for the response that we're going to be having here this morning. The first thing I want you to at least think about is this. and Maybe I could put it in the form of a question. Are you willing to trust in God's goodness? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 in the NRV says this, and we know that in all things, and I'm going to put that in quotes, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the reason why this is important is because that phrase, all things, does not just include good things like happy things. All things also include some of the bad things in your life. You have to believe and trust in the goodness of God. That even though you only know three things, there are 10,000 things that He is doing And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, when we look back with hindsight, looking back into our lives, during that time, maybe three years ago or five years ago, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. This is horrible. And now as you start maturing and years have passed and you look back into that time, you're like, God, I'm so thankful I went through that. Like we're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. To be able to go through what we're going through and then be able to like, oh, this is great because I know God's going to. Because a lot of times when we feel what we feel, go through what we go through, it doesn't make sense. That's why we have to trust that God knows us. He loves us. So that even after a year later, two years later, three, some of you, it might be 10 years. I'm going to tell you right now, just straight up. Some of you, it might be until the day you die. You will never know why you were sexually molested. You will never fully know why your parents got a divorce. You will never fully know why that crime or that sin has been put upon you. You you might never know. 
You can get bitter. You can get angry. You could just say, I'm going to push God out of my life. Or there's some element of humility to say, God, you're God and I'm not. I don't know everything, but I do know that there are times when I look back into my life and I realize in that moment, I didn't understand. But now, after a couple of years, I look back and I'm so thankful. That's why you got to trust. Trust in His goodness. I love what Malcolm Mugridge said. A great writer. If you ever want to read anything by him, it's going to really challenge you. Listen to what he says. Um, he says this because, you know, he became a believer later on in life. He says, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially, especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Pretty much he's saying, it sounds like I'm a sadistic kind of person. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything that I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. Listen to that carefully. That this sense of satisfaction and understanding about life, this enhancement, enlightenment, it has not come through all this happy things, but it has come through the afflictions of life, whether pursued or attained. In other words, if it ever were to be possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence by means of some drug or some other medical mumble-jumble, the result would not be to make life delectable, but to make it too trivial to be endurable. Wow. This is powerful stuff. This, of course, is what the cross signifies. And it is the cross more than anything else that has called me relentlessly to Christ. If your whole life is defined by just nice, happy things that you can just enjoy temporarily, then your life will be so trivial. No wonder so many people who are wealthy, who have all this stuff, their hearts are still empty. It's only when they get to the bottom of the bottom, the lowest of lowest, when they experience pain in their lives, when they experience things that they cannot control. It's when they begin to understand that through that, it's compelling them and drawing them to this Christ who's perfect. Are you willing to trust in Christ? The second thought is, are you turning to God for help? If you turn to any other thing, and I'm telling you right now, it might temporarily numb your pain. It might temporarily get your mind off it. But you're going to have to come back home in your bed and you're going to have to deal with yourself. You're going to have to look in the mirror again. And so, so often we've turned to other things and it has disappointed us. It has left them more empty than ever before. And that's why I'm challenging us this morning. Will you turn to God for help as you humble yourself? And lastly, are you willing to take some time to give thanks to God? Because He is good. And even though some things don't make sense, it doesn't change His goodness. Because that's who He is. I want to close with this video of uh, this person named Patrick Henry Hughes. I'm pretty sure none of you know who he is. He'll share a little bit about his story because he was interviewed. Just to give you a little heads up, he was born blind. And it would have been so easy for myself as a parent or if it happened to me, to ask the question, God, why? But God somehow, even though he were, he was born without eyes, God gifted him with music. And amazingly, the story is that this, God has gifted him with this music and now he's using it and God is using him to even change his family, especially his father who plays a role in the things that he's doing now. And I want you to listen to his attitude 
and to his perspective on life. And I'm wondering if he has experienced this resurrection hope that regardless of what we experience, what we have gone through in our lives, we can still say that God is good and it's for our good and for his glory that what we'll experience. This is a story that's been interviewed by him and he will share with you and along with his father about their journey. I pray that it will solidify everything that we've been talking about, that in Christ, this is where our hope is found because he's the only one that could turn things around. Let's watch this in closing. I'm going to ask us if you could just pull out this car that you received as you were walking in. And on that one side, you had this kind of like the program of what we're going to do today. But on the back side, you will notice the verse in Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. It says, He is not here, He has risen just as he said. And the reason why as Christ followers we celebrate and we rejoice on Easter, and not just Easter, but every Sunday. We call it the Resurrecting Sunday. Every single Sunday is because without our hope in Jesus Christ, because life is going to happen, things outside of your control. Without that hope, and that perspective, you're not going to be able to live this life with joy, with a sense of purpose. But Jesus Christ, once again, because he came and lived and died for us and died on the cross and rose again from the dead, no matter what it is that you're going through, it is for, for good, for our good, it's for his glory. And so that's why when you look at the other side, you will notice it says, I was once, and there's a blank there, a couple blanks. And then on the bottom part of it, it says, now I am, and a couple blanks. And what we want you to do is just kind of fill that out. And another thing we're going to have right here, up here, is a Google form. And if some of you have access to your phones, you can just kind of scan that really quickly. And the reason why we're doing this is because we don't want any single person in this room just to go after our time together and say, okay, that was, I, I've been there, done that. But we really want this to be in the next step for you. If some of you who are not believers in Jesus Christ and something has tugged you in your heart this morning, maybe your next step is, well, I'm going to check out my friends, this thing called Life Group. Get to know some of these other people. Maybe for some of us, we've kind of fallen away and we're slowly coming back and Easter Sunday is the best Sunday to come back to if there's any other Sunday. So you're saying, I'm going to check it out. Maybe your next step will be like, I need to start getting back to those things that I know. Coming out regularly, having fellowship with other believers and just being able to read the Bible again. I don't know what it is for you, but all I'm saying is that as you scan that there's going to be different choices that we want you to be able to respond to. Uh, And we kept it general enough so that it will be personalized to you. I would love to see many of you who are going to stick around for the summer here in Hong Kong to be able to join a life group, to experience life together, to study the Bible, to go out, hang out, and eat together, and pray together, and share life Your struggles together so that you're not alone but let's respond to God can we just do that for a moment just in the quietness of the time we're going to ask you to just go ahead and fill this out and then also if you could scan that QR code and to fill out how you're gonna respond to God and this is an act of faith it's an act of obedience say God this is how I'm going to live my life I want to do it with not my own strength and power but the power and strength that you give unto me. So I'm going to ask us for the next couple minutes, just in this quietness of this space, will you respond to God? And then we're going to come together as a whole church and we'll worship, we'll pray together, and we'll end uh, our Easter celebration, at least this portion. We'll have lunch together, and then we'll celebrate the baptism, rejoicing together. And if some of them are in your life group, you guys can party afterwards, all right? And so it's going to be really exciting. 
And I'm looking forward to baptizing those of you who stood up uh, this morning. Uh, it's going to be a great joy to be able to participate in your journey in that way. So just a couple minutes, and then I'm going to come back up and ask us to stand together and respond to God in that way.